0: The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a
1: deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R A K U T E N. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc
2: Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This on?
1: Hello? Hello? We're all science people.
0: Science. Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted.
3: There's chemistry in here, there's biology in here.
1: It's in whiskey, it's in ice cream, it's in who you fall in love with.
2: Rules and and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody.
1: Starting now.
2: Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show. If you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, The number to call is 470-ASK-BILL. That's 470-275-2455. 470-275-2455. Now, to find out when to call, check me out on the electric internet any old time. Just click on it to askbillnye.com. Askbillnye.com and send us your questions and comments. And I am joined, of course, by my beloved colleague, Science writer, editor, Corey S. Powell. Hello, Corey. Oh, Bill.
3: Hey. Uh, You know, I'm really looking forward to today's show because we're doing something new. We're following up with big questions for our very first returning guest. It's, It's somebody who inspired so many questions in us and in our listeners, that we just, we had to have her back.
2: Yes. She's a microbial ecologist at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and a leader in finding new ways to fight bacterial infections. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Peg Riley. Now, Peg, more than once, more than once, during your first appearance on our show, you said something like, well, Bill, well, Corey, that would be a whole nother show. So, Dr. Riley, Peg. Welcome back to Science Rules.
0: Delighted to be back, guys.
2: Now, listen, listeners. If you haven't listened to our first episode with Peg, you go back. You go back and listen to it. It's called The Right Drug for the Right Bug. Now, this time around, we are talking about fixing one's broken relationship with one's own germs. It's Valentine's time, after all. So today, we want listeners everywhere to fall back in love with their own microbiome.
3: Oh, Bill, that's so sweet. Because there are like trillions and trillions of them. There's so much love.
2: It's, yes, of microbes in your tummy. Uh, so, Peg, Dr. Riley. Yes, Bill. What is a microbiome? That's a great question.
0: It's that ensemble of bacteria or other microbes that comprise most of your body. So you think, I look at you, Bill, and I think, well, that's Bill. He's a eukaryote. But in fact, you're just a home to
2: microbes.
3: Wait, Bill is just a fermentation chamber? He is for microbes. He oh. keeps
2: them happy. Huh. You're the same way, Corey. Don't be... We all are. Oh, so, you <laughs> never know, mind. You're, I, the premise, what you're claiming is the chief reason you have a human is to grow microbes.
0: Well, as a micro, microbial ecologist, makes sense to me.
3: So a, in utero, there's no microbiome, but as soon as you're born...
0: It starts a gets, process right. of developing it. You don't get it instantly. It takes some amount of time. Different, different organisms take different amounts of time to. Well, let's talk about humans.
2: That. Is it five minutes? Five days?
0: Uh, it's longer than five days. Mm-hmm. So, nowadays it's actually a lot longer because many um, infants are born. From moms that don't have great microbiomes because they've been taking antibiotics or some other reason. And so it takes even longer.
2: So uh, if you're born cesarean.
0: Whole different story. Then you're not getting mom's microbes. You're getting the hospital's microbes mm-hmm. predominantly.
2: Well, doesn't mom kiss you and smooch you? And
0: She does, but you've got a whole other ensemble that's, that's hanging out in the hospital and in the nurse's gloved hands and on the table and in the blankets. And it's just a different start. Now, do we know what kind of an impact that has on human health? Well, we're starting to. The studies are challenging to do, but we're starting to understand. Um, for example, there's a company I recently learned about, um, Evolve Biosystems, out of It's somewhere near Palo Alto, somewhere in Silicon Valley. And they've been looking at the impact of depleted microbiomes in moms on the newborn baby. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they're finding is that moms who live in developed countries tend to have fewer of the key bacteria that allow you to digest mother's milk. And so babies being born from moms who have depleted microbiomes have— more rashes, have more difficulty, you know, getting
2: nutrients out of milk. Can't you acquire a microbiome your whole life, keep adding to it, stacking it up? So certainly your microbiome changes over your life.
0: And um, there are certain bacteria that are more static, more stable, others that are more transient. But the very early stages of development as a baby, as, an, as a newborn, are very key for your, your immune system to evolve and so if you have an altered microbiome, you can have a much more challenging time later in life because your immune system wasn't trained properly. So
2: when you say altered, altered from what? Uh,
0: in terms of a composition that a, a newborn would have with a mom with a, a, a well-established, healthy microbiome.
2: So do you have advice for mothers in the developed world? Well,
0: um, <laughs> the, it, it's a very new outcome, and so I'm still trying to figure out how to digest.
2: Ha ha! Get it? See what ha, she ha, did ha, there? Ha, ha. Huh?
0: Um, but certainly there are ideas out there that probiotics may offer some solutions, so that newborns can be fed bacteria. What's a probiotic? So, so the a probiotic is a bacterium that we um, utilize, usually ingest to help fend off other problems. So before an issue becomes a problem, you take probiotics. So if you're on antibiotics, for example, you might take probiotics to help replenish your microbiome during the course of antibiotics so you don't get infected with some other pathogen.
3: Now, as I mentioned, we have a lot of questions that came out of your earlier show. In fact, some of those questions are very, very close to what we're talking about right now. We have one question ready
4: to go right here. Hi, this is Jamie Emerson calling from Boulder, Colorado. I'm a lifelong Bill Nye fan, and I cannot count the number of times a TV and VCR was wheeled into the classroom to watch the show. I'm also a lifelong skier, and I broke my leg about 16 years ago, which led to a couple of surgeries and some hefty courses of antibiotics. Shortly after, I started dealing with some significant digestive issues, and I have always believed that the microbiome played a significant role there. I was wondering what Bill and Corey or Dr. Peg Riley's thoughts were on repairing your gut after antibiotics or a similar experience. I've tried all the probiotics, prebiotics, a number of different diets. I'm an active outdoor person. I meditate and work hard to manage stress and have dabbled in FMTs as well. Um, is there anything else out there worth exploring to try and repair a compromised system? Thank you so much. Oh thank
3: you. And uh, let me just... Uh... Decode one thing I heard in there. Yes. Uh, FMT, I believe that's a that's a fecal transplant. Is that not where you actually take, let's say, fecal matter from one person and pass it along to another person to help rebuild a microbiome?
0: You got it, Corey. That's okay. exactly what it is. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's a fascinating area that's developed over the last fifteen years, where. The idea was if you've got a problem in your gut because your microbiome isn't working properly, and this came up quite often with patients with uh, C. diff or clostridium difficile infections that were almost impossible to cure, they thought of the idea of, well, if that's where the problem is, what if we just put some fecal matter into that patient and see if something good happens? And the answer was... Amazingly enough, good things happen. And these patients were recovering in ways that we had no so power to you, cure.
2: You got better. These people got better literally by eating shit.
0: well, at that point, it was more likely that it was <laughs> sort of like a suppository. Right. so when you bring these this healthy microflora into a patient that's got a depleted one or that's got, for example, C diff at much higher frequencies than than you really want in your body, they can fight each other away, out-compete one over the other. Now, how that's done, we still don't know. I can make suggestions based on what I see in nature, but I haven't gone into the human gut and watched them fight, fight it out. Really? Well, I've gone into mouse guts,
2: uh, uh, but not uh, human guts. Yeah. Oh, some of my best friends. <laughs> so uh, here's uh, our caller. Yeah. Who's got this depleted microbiome. Could he eat not only – could he not only take in, let's say in this case, probiotics, some type of bacterium, but could he also take in the proper nutrients to overwhelm – to get one to overwhelm the other?
0: Well, what's fascinating about this little story is he's tried so many things. He's clearly well-read and open to experimenting on his own body, and he's done everything that I might recommend at this early stage of our understanding of how to fix your microbiome. He's done all the, the important things that one would do, including things like meditating, being outside, being active, um, the probiotics that he's tried, the prebiotics that he's tried. And I uh, I would hesitate with the fecal microbiota transfer at this point simply because it's such a young technique.
3: Well, there are also, I mean, there are a lot of people who just take probiotics thinking that it's just in general a good thing. It keeps you healthier even if you're not experiencing any particular symptoms. Is there any evidence that's true?
0: There are some studies. Unfortunately, a lot of this work was done. In areas of the world where the, the control of experiments are not up to what we would call the U.S. standards or FDA standards, where um, we require an enormous amount of evidence to say that something can can improve health. or it Is effective. Is effective, yeah. So I, I'm not going to claim that the um, probiotics um, that we use, that you buy at the grocery store and use, are necessarily helping you at all. Those are not regulated by the FDA, so we generally don't know what's in them, if they have the right species in them, what the you know density of the what bacteria What is it, a powder?
2: What do you get when you get a Well,
0: you, you can get all kinds. You can get drinks that have been seeded with it. You can eat yogurt, for example. Not a not a bad idea anyways. Right. Some of them come
2: as pills. We have a recorded question.
1: Hello, Bill and Corey and Dr. Pegg. My name is Lise, and I'm calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. I have a question about um, the gut-brain uh, connection and how our gut bacteria and microbe, uh, microbiome might affect mental health, um, Perfect. specifically related to immunosuppressants. So I have an autoimmune disease related to the gut, and I'm on an immunosuppressant to help me manage this disease. And I wonder about what kind of long-term effects an immunosuppressant might have on one's microbiome. And then what those sort of microbiome effects might have on one's long-term mental health? Thank you so much.
3: That's a great two-part question. do you want you want to tackle it sort piece by piece?
0: I would love to tackle it at least. That's a fantastic topic. And it's actually in an area where there's just extraordinary boost of ener- of of research going on right now. Um, I, I'm going to tell you the the bad news at the beginning is I can't give you answers yet. But the good news is you've got a lot of smart people out there looking at exactly those issues, because the connection between your microbiome and your immune system is, you know, hand in glove. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. And now we're now understanding that the, the relationship between your microbiome and your neural system is also incredibly close. That's, so come
2: on, come on, come on, come on. You're <laughs> saying that what goes on in my tummy is affecting what goes on in my head.
0: Yes, think about your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. Where do What's all those?
2: Think... Bill, think about it, will you? <laughs> Get it? Get think, it?
0: Think about all those neurons that 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 connect your gut to your brain.
2: Motion sickness alone would remind well, us. There all you of go. That. Yeah.
0: Those um, those interactions are modulated, mediated by microbes. They are pl- they are playing a, a really close connection with our nervous system, and and have, we've evolved with that co- connection. So we're now starting to understand that things like the way we measure IQ can be impacted by what microbiome you have and how long you've had it. Things like um, depression, things that we never in a million years would have thought can be related to what critters you have growing in your gut. Now we see very c- close connections, but for our our uh, caller unfortunately it's still very early days and a lot of this is very correlative so correlations between one person's microbiome and, and their IQ or
2: where we don't quite know what the cause we don't know, we know what the, the cause is okay but so okay 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 so do you shooting from the hip as an investigator investigate tricks in your case is it more reasonable that general health in the in Lisa's tummy leads to a gentle a general healthier mental outlook or happier because men- I'll say when you are sick to your stomach that's all you're thinking about. There's you can hardly focus on anything else. All right, or do you think there are literally chemicals produced by your micro by the microbes in your tummy? that end up in your mm, blood, end up in your endocrine system somehow and actually end up in your brain and then affect chemically affect your brain, not just uh, not feeling sick in your brain. Well, both will be right.
0: So certainly they produce chemicals and those chemicals can cause firing in the immune system, in the nervous system. Um, We're still at an early stage of understanding all those chemical interactions, but absolutely, that's going to be the heart of it. And, and that's where this huge area of growth and research is heading right now.
2: So speaking of understanding, we are living at a time where we have these we have this extraordinary technologies. We can do all these amazing things with science. And among them is prevent diseases through immunization, through vaccines. And so there is a trend among very well-educated people to not get vaccinated. And I associate that same trend with the microbial wipes at the grocery store. So is there gonna be, this is to say, picking your enemy uh, without maybe seeing the big picture. I will not get vaccinated, but I will wipe my hands constantly. And so is it possible that we are acting out of ignorance with respect to both vaccines and microbes as enemies. Is it possible? <laughs> Is it likely? Yeah, uh, let's go with that. Likely, uh, li-
3: listeners, you cannot see the expression on uh, Peg Riley's face, but uh, incredulity,
2: incredulity. Not only that, well, she doesn't believe it.
0: You prefaced it by saying th- these are well-educated individuals choosing not to get
2: vaccinated. Yeah, it's for an example. infamous problem right now,
0: and and that's just really sad, and. One of the reasons it's sad is because if they're educated, then they can probably do the research on Google to see that vaccines are the safest drugs we have. Let me say that again. Vaccines are the safest drugs we have. The
2: technology goes back over 200 years.
0: And we've done enormous studies with large sample sizes. And yet By still, large, we're
2: talking billions we're, of people in the case of polio. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Stick around for more science rules after this.
2: Science rules is back. All right, uh, we have a caller online that I think is going to—I think going to fit right in. Elizabeth, are you out there? We're here for I you. I am. Oh,
3: there you are. Greetings. Where Greetings are you calling
2: from? Where are you calling
1: oh, from? I'm from North Carolina.
2: And do you have a question for Dr. Riley?
1: My question is: um, if it's dangerous to hang around livestock and pet them, if you're to wash your hands after?
2: That sounds like it'd be the best thing ever.
0: I I I am fully uh, approve of of handling livestock. I have my own chickens and my own horse and I handle them as often as possible. The key is, Elizabeth, you want a lot of exposure to microbes. It's sort of um you know, we spent so many years trying to keep our kids clean and you know, washing their hands constantly and not letting them out into the mud. And now our views about that have changed fundamentally, and we really want those kids out in the mud. So we want you out there petting the cows on the side of the street, hugging your cat. So I'm I'm a firm believer in hugging cows.
2: So uh, while we're hugging cows, Elizabeth, I don't know where exactly where you live, but do you hug cows on the side of the street? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, silly us. So uh, the reason— what is the uh, – What is there's something about it. You've been out there hugging the livestock, carrying on. There's something about wanting to wash your hands. Am I right, Elizabeth? Is because you were brought up washing your hands or you just feel the intuition? Like is there an extra lanolin, you know, the um, skin lubricant on your hands? What is it that yeah, so makes nice you want to wash your hands?
1: Yeah. I guess it's just because I was always taught to wash my hands after petting animals. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I hear a lot about, I don't know, like at county fairs and stuff about people getting sick. But that's probably just because, you know, they don't wash their hands and then put their hands in their mouth or something like that.
3: Well, well, well Peg, uh, if you live around livestock, do you all develop collective microbiome? Are you all kind of sharing your your microbes?
0: So first, let me just go back to Elizabeth's concern, which, to be fair, is not a bad concern when you're around certain animals that tend to harbor bacteria that might be pathogenic to us. For example, um, there might be salmonella on chickens. So if you're around a lot of chickens, it's not a bad idea to wash your hands. But to get back to Corey's comment, which, what, what were you asking me, Corey?
3: About the, sort of the shared microbiome, oh, if you yeah. live with pets Absolutely. or if you live around livestock. Absolutely. In horse? fact,
0: when I was an undergraduate, we did a study where we showed that um, the bacteria in our professor was most similar to the bacteria in his dogs and cats.
2: <laughs> no, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and so, really, you are sharing your microbiome. And Liz, it,
2: but this is a great question. So, let me ask you this sort of shooting from the hip thing. Has anybody done a long longitudinal study of farmers or ranchers' health, children of farmers' ranchers' health versus city folks' health? Now, that's a great question, Bill, and I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did. Because it's intuitively, if this hypothesis that you're exposed to, getting exposed to a spectrum or a lot of different microbes is good— then you'd expect people that live in a livestocky environment, if I can coin the adjective, would get exposed to more microbes. But then, if a feller rides the New York subway, he or she is going to get a lot of microbes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might get a different a, a different diversity S- of microbes, yeah. but um, you're still, you know, we're back to planet microbe again. You're getting them everywhere all the time. And they're so, changing, right? And your microbiome changes over time. Corey's
2: does. So this let's get let's get a caller here. Delaney, hit. Where are you calling from?
1: I'm from calling from California.
2: Uh, it's a big place. Uh, where in California? Yeah.
1: Um, Placerville, down by Sacramento.
2: Down by Sacramento, the Delta Breeze. So, what is your question?
1: My question is: Can bacteria and germs um, evolve or change, or do they stay in the same form?
0: Oh, Delaney, you're, that's a fantastic question is because most of my training was in the area of microbial evolution and ecology. And I can tell you right now that microbes, just like every li- other living organism, evolve. And what's kind of fun is that microbes evolve quickly because their generations are so short. So whereas an elephant to evolve, you have to go through generations and elephants have very long lives.
2: And they don't They don't uh, make new elephants very
0: frequently. That's right. Whereas in my lab, microbes can evolve over the course of a few hours. And that's how we can look at things like the evolution of antibiotic resistance and see what's happening in the lab right up close and personal over short periods of time. So, yes, the answer is microbes are evolving constantly.
2: And so then if I'm going to have a microbiome in my tummy to deal with the changing microbes, those microbes microbes in my tummy have to evolve also.
0: They will evolve, and they'll do things from a negative perspective. They can share antibiotic resistance genes. So if you take an antibiotic, that's... Okay, so how
2: do, okay, okay, okay. There, I'm a bacterium in Bill's tummy. Yes. Do I walk up? Do I swim up to it? Do I amoebate up to another another bacterium and offer some DNA? Well,
0: you know, there's a lot of microbial sex going on in your <gasps> tummy, Bill. I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk about it. Uh, we have a few seconds. Okay. Microbe sex. Well, it's pr- <laughs> Oh, there we go. It's pretty kinky. This is what kinky. we were waiting for. It's Th- pretty kinky. I told you this is a
3: relationship show, right? You can't talk right. about relationships without talking about sex.
0: Well, microbes have really funny ways to do things. And in fact, this is Funny brings- to us. Well, if they microbes might joke are about sentient, it too. Yeah, well, they might too. Okay. So, one of my favorite publication titles is Sex with Dead Things is better than no sex at all. Okay. What that refers <laughs> to is that microbes will take up DNA from dead microbes.
2: So, through like a little pipe that they have,
0: Sort of like that, that they're little windows in, in, in the walls and they just suck up DNA and use it to recombine with their own DNA. How
2: do they know, uh, how do they find, how do they sense, What? how do they pick which dead microbe with whom to interact?
0: There are little signals or sequences in the DNA. And if that sequence matches something that they recognize, they suck that DNA up. And use it to recombine. It just
3: amazes me that this is happening at this tiny microscopic level that there is this sensing and response. Okay, and- but
2: hang on. Is there then a scheme by the dead microbe to have DNA that is sucked up that kills the other bacterium so that microbe's first microbe's relatives will succeed against the second microbe's relatives? Wow. <laughs> now, what a
0: way for your mind to go. That I don't know about, but now we can think of a Wow. That's... So you
2: you guys isolate microbes and sequence their DNA. Yes, that's your business. We do. We do. So what am I looking at when I look at a sequence microbial DNA sequence? A long paper chart stretched out for several long hallways? Well, you're uh, looking
0: at millions and millions of base pairs. An
2: electronic document that drrr, compares them drrr, like a long for, novel and looks for disparities or mismatches or matches. Exactly. But they do. They do their sex in lots
0: of other ways too. Like they form little channels between two cells, and they allow their DNA to just travel through the channel. Mm-hmm. So right. that's conjugation.
2: Conjugation. So it's like sperm and egg, but it's exactly there isn't like that. Uh, Boy, girl thing.
0: Now, it's how do we get on? Microbe sex again? Well, so the,
2: I guess we were, the talking about, about p- we we're talking about your oh, favorite paper title. We're talking about microbe right. evolution. Clearly so, on your mind all the time, Doctor Riley. It's a pretty cool title. You've got to admit. <laughs> okay. I'm all so,
3: for. So, it. so I understand. So my my microbes are evolving all the time. Is my microbiome changing all the time, or does it kind of stay the same over my life?
0: It's changing all the time as well. Now you'll have percentages of different types of microbes all the time, but the individual players might change. So that can happen over hours, over days, over months. So, so you, I don't have,
3: like, a microbiome print that would identify me.
0: Well, you do have what's oh, – fascinating question, Corey. So what you do have is y- you shed microbes when you walk. You know that, right?
3: Uh, like, I know that, oh, some, sure, I know that sure. other <laughs> people do. I was not
0: aware that I was doing it, too. You, you do, too.
2: Sorry to bring that up. So but, it's coming off my skin. I'm exhaling.
0: So think about it. You, you guys know Charlie <clears throat> Brown. And Pigpen, the character in Charlie yes, Brown, mm-hmm. and, and the visual is this cloud of dust. Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, now just imagine that's all of us with our microbiomes. We're just shedding microbiome all around. And what's really interesting, and, and the area of criminal justice is starting to look into this, is that you can actually sort of like a fingerprint almost. They're beginning to understand that you can identify people's, people's identity from their microbiome.
2: So uh, that is a cool That wow. is a cool area. Now, uh let's try this. Desiree. Desiree, are you out there? Hi. Greetings Desiree, Desiree, greetings. Where are you calling from?
1: I'm calling from West Palm, Florida.
2: There you go. So, you have a question.
1: <laughs> yes, um pardon my voice. I'm a little sick right now. I'm getting over a cold, which is also kind of related to my question. Um I'm a type 1 diabetic and I was just wondering about the relationship between not just being a diabetic, but being diagnosed as a diabetic and the internal microbiome. So
2: tell us what's entailed in being a type 1 diabetic.
1: Okay, so type 1 is autoimmune. I may get facts wrong, but I'm just going off of what I've been told. Um, So you're born with it. type 1 is autoimmune. I wasn't born with it. I got diagnosed three or four years ago when I was 14, and it's just Basically, my body, for some reason, decided to attack the B cells in my pancreas that produce the insulin, and now I don't produce the insulin, and I have to um, physically inject insulin and check my sugar on the daily.
2: You're asking, Dr. Riley, if the environment around you may have promoted or even suppressed this type 1 diabetic autoimmune condition either before or after you were 14. So could yeah. microbes affect her autoimmune attack of her B cells? Wow.
0: Um Desiree, I wish I wish I had an answer for you, but um because it's <laughs> autoimmune, you know, my, my sense is the, that the answer is going to be yes, but I, I honestly Yes, what, can't, what do you mean
2: yes to what? That, Those that her
0: microbiome with. is going to have impacted that the oh. the emergence of this
2: autoimmune uh, response. Desiree, do you have any odd dietary issues?
1: I mean, no. I'm not really (laughs) sure, like, you know, how weird my eating preferences are, but um, I would say no. I mean, aside from, like, normal things, like, if my sugar is high, I want to constantly drink water. Like, nonstop, I could drink water until I'm, like, more than what a normal body holds.
3: Well, (laughs) let's let's drill down one part of the the question here. um, Because... Uh, infection is associated with the onset of of some autoimmune diseases. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is correct. Yeah, so uh, you're you're definitely you're definitely looking in the right direction, Desiree, to to think about what we're learning about the microbiome that could impact the emergence of type one diabetes at age fourteen. I think that's a a, a great area. I I just don't have an answer for you yet, but. Um, you really got me thinking on this one, so I'm going to do some research. That's,
1: that's what science is for.
3: Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Maybe, maybe you, Desiree, maybe you should become a researcher and help uh, give us some answers here. Because
2: injecting yourself with insulin is kind of a pain in the side, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's well, I have a pump, so it's not too bad, but yeah, it's it's kind of annoying, oh, yeah. difficult at times, especially when being sick with a common cold really affects your blood sugars and. How you function throughout the day. How does
2: it affect your blood sugar?
1: Well, a normal person getting a cold, they'll probably have it for a couple of days and, you know, recover because it's just a common cold. But for me, I've already been sick for like four days now, and I'll probably be sick for a couple more days. It takes longer for me to get over things, and then it also causes my blood sugars to drive up because my body is fighting things so hard.
2: Here's what it sounds like, Dr. O'Reilly. Uh, that there is a cause and effect. This is to say her immune system is working hard to fight herself. The immune system is, doesn't have the resources to fight other viruses and bacteria. Is that reasonable? And how would we test that hypothesis?
0: Well, it's, it's a reasonable thing to think of, and um, it, it's even more complicated because your immune system is fighting yourself, but your immune system is also triggering your microbes. And whether they're fighting as well you know, that can give you that double boost, that sort of whammy that that causes you to to experience the the physical fact of feeling sick longer. But th- these were really great questions you
2: raised. So this fa- thank, thank you. you for calling, Desiree. Carry on. Thank you. <laughs> thank no- you. No. Science Rules will be right back.
1: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
2: You're listening to Science Rules. Now, speaking of combining passion, passions, and speaking of doing short videos, and speaking of autoimmune diseases...
3: I can't wait to see where this is going. It's
2: going to gym. Our next caller. Jim, are you out there?
3: Hey, I'm here.
2: So, Jim, what is your question?
5: Well, I uh, I had cystic fibrosis, and my cousin actually has it, too. Uh, what happened was my mom and her sister married uh, my dad and his brother, which were neighbors down the street, and we were the fourth child <laughs> to have the illness. And after that, they stopped having kids.
2: So this is <laughs> um, the idea. This is... It is generally accepted that your parents had some gene repeat, and when you got two copies of it, or rather, they had some gene, and when you got two copies of it, you contracted this uh, this condition, the syndrome.
5: Yes. It's just weird that it happened with the fourth
2: child on each side, and uh, we're like brothers, really, and not even cousins, but... Um, so let me ask you this. So what are the, what is cystic fibrosis for the, uh, people who may not be familiar with it?
5: Yeah. Um, I gotta say now with awareness and whatnot, it seems a lot of people know about it more than any time before. So,
2: but what is, what's involved for those who don't know?
5: Well, see every, every, uh, person with the illness is different. It's, a lot of thick, sticky mucus growing in the lungs. That's the standard what everybody knows. As it it's just a lung illness, but it's a lot of digestive as well. You have to take pills, our bodies don't produce pancreatic enzymes and we're susceptible to, you know, stomach
2: problems. But your question is, is are there characteristics or symptoms? Of cystic fibrosis that are related to micro, your microbiome. Is that the question?
5: Yeah, thank you for.
2: Well, we had to, we're getting it through more. it. No, we're working together. It's good. So Peg, take it. Solve this problem. So
0: Jim, <laughs> um, first of all, I'm I'm so sorry you have <laughs> to you. you have this challenge to face in life. And that's and, all right.
5: That's all I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's um, one of your biggest challenges, I, I would imagine, is the the lung infections that you face repeatedly, and I'm I'm going to make a prediction that it's probably pseudomonas aeruginosa. Oh yeah, that's in your lungs, Corey. Um, and has, that, that's I was going to say that too. Uh, what is that, Peg? That's a bacterium that is found in the majority of individuals who are dealing with cystic fibrosis and have lung infections and and Pseudomonas aeruginosa just is able to get in there live off of the excess mucin or mucus that's being pr- produced in your lung tissue and their densities get s- so high that it's literally impossible to kill them with antibiotics
3: now is this something that we all have in our lungs but normally it's it's managed by the body or by other microbes in your body
0: well, our lungs aren't sterile, which we used to think they were. Uh, they're not. How um, could they?
2: Be? You're breathing all these germs from the subway and the livestock and everything in between. It, that's it seems obvious
0: now, but but 20 years ago,
2: if 20 you asked, or 200, um, 20.
0: If you ask somebody, is your is your lung a sterile environment? Most people would say yeah. What? Back to Jim and and your pulmonary infections. Um, have you have you been on antibiotics? Oh yeah, yeah. So Jim, the, the chromosomal mutations that are responsible for this condition, there are many of them. There, It's not like a single mutation results in cystic fibrosis. There are perhaps hundreds of different mutations. So it's a challenge for um, um, correction of the gene itself. But yes, we are certainly making headway in that direction. I, the other area that I think... You can feel some optimism about is that there are people working on new approaches to dealing with your lung infections. And what are the
2: new approaches?
0: Well, y- I, you and I have talked in the past about my approach to to finding novel antimicrobials. We, Using
2: bacteria bac- sins b-
0: bacteria sins. and and Jim, those ba- are um, proteins that bacteria naturally produce. And we have found some. They produce
2: them to fight other bacteria. To fight other
0: bacteria. Sin is
2: cut to cut the That's other bacteria's exactly right. membrane or whatever.
0: And and what's particularly different about those than the antibiotics you've tried in the past is that we can tailor tailor them to to just get at the bacteria that are in your lungs. So and so they're, not, they're those. not so they're
3: not taking out all the other things in your microbiome.
0: Exactly, but but there is progress being made, Jim.
3: Jim, a quick, yes. quick question. Uh, so you've been, it sounds like you've been on multiple courses of antibiotics. Uh, in between, do you take probiotics or do, do you do things to kind of rebuild your microbiome between those those hits of antibiotics?
5: Uh, you know, I live on yogurt. I have, to, I have to eat a lot of yogurt even while I'm eating a meal just to help my stomach digest. But yeah, I'm absolutely on acidophilus and all this other stuff, but yogurt absolutely helps me a lot.
2: God, that's for me. That's, uh, that's uh, stressful and kind of cool that we understand it. It's very cool. Yeah. that is. Uh, it's
5: like you you think you're, you know you're going to eat something that's going to hurt your stomach. And if you eat a yogurt, and I think it applies for everybody, if you're going to eat something you know is going to bother your stomach, you eat a yogurt with it, and you'd be surprised.
2: That is very cool, Jim. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your call. Thank you so much, for all of you. Appreciate it. Oh, Corey, Corey, what's going on? Bill, uh, either
3: uh, either we've overloaded the circuits of this podcast or it's time for the lightning round. The oh, lightning it's time for the lightning round.
2: Lightning round, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Riley, are you ready? These are quick questions. You're going to provide us quick answers.
0: I was frightened last time.
2: I'm not this
0: time.
3: You're building up resistance. <laughs>
0: it's,
2: it's evolution. <laughs> Dr. Riley, do you have a favorite germ?
0: I I love so many of them, but, <laughs> but E. coli because it's my it's sort of the lab rat of the microbial world. It's what we play with in the
2: lab a lot. Because there's a lot of different E. coli, right? Oh, absolutely. So how many are there? Uh, thousands. Thousands, yeah. What's a germ you hate the most?
0: Well, I actually am pretty annoyed by the germ Jim's dealing with, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, because it it's really devastating for an individual with CF to live with that germ all their lives, and it so
2: just does. Does this germ know that you're annoyed with it?
0: Well, they know in my lab because I'm constantly killing them. (laughs) And that does brighten up my day.
2: (laughs) That's a a good, bad relationship. Still, we're in the lightning round. Are are phones disgusting breeding grounds of germs?
0: My students just tested that in class the other day. And the answer is? They were much cleaner than water faucets. And um, cleaner than the benches that the students were working on.
2: Maybe a phone, I'm not joking, is drier. There's less moisture than there are in other places. Yeah,
0: and there are fewer hands on
2: it. Uh Ah, in the Valentine's Day spirit, how much of one's microbiome does one share with ones we love? What fraction? Pick a number. Um and
3: I think I think love is being used in both senses here. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> So yes, you share your microbiome with your loved ones, but you also share it with your cats and dogs. So I'm not well, really sure not where really we want to go. There.
2: <laughs> My best friends, really? Anyway, thank you, doctor. This has been another fantastic episode. Dr. Peg Riley is a microbial ecologist at the University of Massachusetts in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, And she's been our guest today. As you may know, I'm Bill Nye. I am Corey S. Powell. And remember, when it comes to the microbiomic sector of our universe, science Science rules. rules. If you like science rules, and of course we hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. Thank you. Be sure to look at my socials, you know, the electric machines, the Twitters and the Gram for when to call into this show. And I'm at Bill Nye on all those things. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we used a couple today. Thank you. Give us a call at 201-472-0785. 201-472-0785. The Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell and Corey S. Powell. Hey, that's me. With extra production from Lisa Wang, and she listens to your voicemails carefully. Our engineer today is Casey Halford. Music and original theme music were also by Casey Halford. Special thanks to our Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer, the CCO here at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, of course, Science Rules.